And I want to preach today from um, Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, and Ephesians, but you don't need to turn to Ephesians, it's a short scripture. The title of my message here today is The Savior of the Body, The Savior of the Body. So it says in Philippians chapter 3, and verse 17, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. Let me read that again. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. And you don't have to turn there, return there, but in Ephesians chapter 5 it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we glorify you, O God, and we thank you here today, O God. We exalt you for all that you've done, O God, Lord, in our lives, O God. And Lord, we thank you that you even open up your word to us, O God. We pray, O God, Lord, that Christ would be exalted here today, O Father, Lord. In this gathering, O oh God, from this pulpit, O oh Father, we pray, O oh God, that you would be merciful unto us, O oh God, and help us, O oh God, to hear, Lord, deal with us and meet with us, O oh Father. We ask you, O oh God, Lord, that these scriptures would be revealed, O oh God, unto us, and you'd open up all mysteries to us, O oh God, and teach us that we not go out the same, O oh God, but changed, O oh God, that we might apply the word to our hearts, O oh God, and that we might be changed and conformed into your likeness, O oh God. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' mighty and wonderful name. Amen. Amen. I'll read that again. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. So while Keats away, and the fact that we're between these two meetings, I thought it would be right to continue with this theme of marriage. Keith preached two messages on uh, the enemies of the marriage covenant, because the marriage covenant is a covenant. It's an agreement, and in any agreement that's made, things come against it. If agreements didn't, if, if there wasn't a need for an agreement, if things didn't come against these things, there would be no need for a contract or an agreement. In business transactions, people make contracts terms of use, terms and conditions. Why? Because it is the tendency of man in this fallen world to try see how they can get away from these things. So that's what marriage is. It is a, an agreement between two people, a covenant in blood between two people. And so now we want to continue with that thought. He spoke about six things that come against marriage and I implore you to not only if you're married but to go back and listen to those things. He said that with strong marriages we will have a strong church and I believe that now more than I ever have in the past when I got married and when I subsequently had children I understood from that moment what those families are is what the church is going to be and of course it's the same for single people what they are that church is it's the collection it is a body it is an ecclesia but particularly with the families there's something stable and strong about a family when they are stable and strong they're great life to a church they're very important because they give future members and children and then they also give stability to all of those things and so 
what the families are, what the marriages are, the church is. If there's unstable marriages, there will be unstable church. It's as simple as that. We are the sum of our parts in that sense. And so we've heard the scriptures about Christ being the head of the church and how the husband is the head of the wife. And I want us to look at this here today. Title of my message, The Savior of the Body. But before we can look at the Savior of the Body, we must first look at who is the head of the church. And I'll let you in on a little secret. It is not the Pope in Rome. It is most definitely not Saint Peter. It's not Muhammad or Buddha or or your local priest or any of these people. It's not Keith Malcolmson here in Limerick City the head of the church is Christ Jesus Christ is the head of the church he always has been and he always will be it is his bride it is his church and thus he is the head of that thing everything the physical head is to the physical body is what Christ is to the church so you imagine you've got a head every single person in this room has a head if you did not it would be an awful thing it would be grotesque if there was just a a decapitated body there in the midst we would all think it's strange and yet there's church things that call themselves churches and they have no head or they've made a head of their own fashion, their own doings. But everything that that physical head is to the body, uh, the, the Christ is to the church. He governs how the church conducts herself. He governs how the church lives her life. He, his word governs how the church makes her decisions. Men do not make the decisions for the church, or they at least should not. Where you find this, it is disorderly. Why? Because the leaders here in this church, they do not make the decisions. It is Christ who makes the decisions. Every decision that Keith or I make is informed by the Word of God. It is submitted to the head. We first communicate with the head, and not in some strange, freaky-deaky way, but in a way that's normal. You communicate to the head. We read the Word of God. We want to know how does God want His church to function? How does He want His bride to operate in this world? And it's the head that makes the decisions. The body can inform the decisions, but must not ever lead. So for example, if you're cooking and you've placed your hand on something hot, maybe it's a hob or whatever, your hand can feel that heat and communicate to the head, maybe we should remove our hand from this source of heat because we're going to be in trouble if we don't. That is a situation where the body has informed the head, but that head makes the decisions ultimately. When someone's uh, in a car crash and they get their spinal cord severed, no longer can that head communicate with the members of that body, not any any longer. It is the head that ultimately has final say, although muscle memory, all those things inform the decision. Saints, I'm talking about the church and Christ. So we are all members of the body of Christ. We are members of Christ's church, but Christ is the head. So we can inform the decisions that are made here, but ultimately everything is done submitted unto Christ. Submitted unto Christ and His Word. If we decide, you know what, this Sunday there's going to be no preaching, we're just going to have worship, we're not going to break bread together. That's the idea of man. That is not the idea of what the Word of God says. So we might make decisions as to how long we might preach, or we might make decisions as to what we might preach, but all of those things are submitted as to what pleases Christ. How can I preach in a way that's pleasing unto the head of this body? 
That's what I'm thinking yesterday. That's what I'm thinking all week. What am I going to preach that is not going to offend Christ Jesus, that is going to edify the body, that is going to be good for you to consume, and that's going to help you to live your life as a Christian and to be formed in His likeness. The head makes the ultimate decisions. It's a terrible thing when the body starts to lead and the body starts to make decisions. It's a very terrible thing. Why? Because you're led by your feelings. You're led by your lusts. You know, that's the portion we read in Philippians. It says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross. If you find someone who is led by their lusts, they are not a friend of Christ. The Bible says they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Enemies. Oh, well, I've heard it said before that a Christian man said to me that, oh, I'm just a carnal Christian. You know, we've got two types of Christians, spiritual Christians and carnal Christians. Those people, carnal Christians, are enemies of the cross of Christ because the cross of Christ is a place where you die and lay all your carnality down and nail it to the cross. You see, those people, their end is destruction. Their God is their, God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame and they mind earthly things. The Christian and this church should not consider the things of this earth. We are not here for this earth. This earth is not our home. We must think about the heavenly. We must think about the day of Christ's return. We must ready ourselves on a daily basis for his soon coming return. And saints of God, it's never been sooner than it is right now. We are so, so close. We're on the cusp of eternity and we must prepare ourselves. We must make ourselves ready and we must make sure that our God is not our belly. Our heads is not here, but our heads is here. It's Christ. He is the head of the church. He is the one that leads us. And all of you in your your own homes. Christ is the one that leads. Everything is submitted unto him the way that you live your life. If the head that is Christ is not the leader, then the leader becomes the body. And when the body leads, it leads by its lusts. It leads by what feels good. That's what happens when you take the head off. The, uh, you're just left with these senses. A number of the senses are contained within the head, all of the important ones. But what's left from the neck down, it's the feeling of touch. It's your belly. It's your bowels. It's, that's where those desires are. And when you see people who are moved by those things, they have left Christ at the door. It's a Leo, the sea in church eh, that just decides. They decide, oh, what are we going to preach on for the next uh, four weeks? Oh, how are we going to build our church? How are we going to... Uh, add to our church here in this city. God help us. This is not our church. It is Christ's church and we are only stewards of this. I do not have the, the, the um, authority to just come in and do whatever I want. I can't come in here and say, uh, guys, today we're going to do a speech and drama session instead of preaching the world. First of all, Keith would kill me. Second of all, when I'm on the judgment seat, Christ would, would, would judge me for that. He is the head and everything is done informed unto him he has delegated responsibility to us for decisions but that's because we do it under his submission and authority he has delegated responsibility to us for operating here on this earth but that doesn't mean you can just do whatever you want to do you know uh, you know um uh, t tasks are delegated but it has to be done under that headship rory does those video uh, uploads those videos to youtube every single week 
that, that task was delegated to him. He is now a steward of that task. But he doesn't get to just decide when he gets to do things. He doesn't get to just decide how things work. We do this all together. It's all informed. It has been delegated. It has not been given to him. There's a difference between delegation and ownership. He's not been given ownership. He's been given stewardship. And we heard about that a few weeks ago. It's the same with this church. We are stewards of what's here in this church. We don't just get to make decisions of our own. We do not operate in vacuums. Christ is the head. He is the one that makes decisions. And if you're making decisions in your life and you are not thinking about what does Jesus think about this decision, then you have a real problem. And maybe you don't know the word of God enough to know. Maybe you're too young of a Christian to know. Maybe you understand that you're not good at making such decisions. Then you must go to the next greatest authority here in that you must maybe, if you're uh, in a family, speak to your father, speak to the spirit spiritual head of that home maybe speak to your mother if you're in, in contact with her more and she's born again and she's godly maybe speak to the leaders of the church speak to someone who will give you wise and godly counsel i hate these things that operate and call themselves fellowships and don't call themselves churches because those men are afraid to call themselves pastors it's easy to have a fellowship very difficult to operate a church a church is a very difficult thing to be a member of and operate in you look at a garden and if you leave a garden just go on its own weeds grow up weeds spring up it, it naturally tends towards dereliction why because of the fall of man you know if a bride does not make herself ready for that wedding day then she looks disheveled you know Shona looked absolutely beautiful on that wedding day walking down that aisle everybody was in tears everyone was looking at her one because we're looking at something that's representative of Christ's revelation in someone's life but two she has endeavoured it's obvious she has endeavoured to make herself ready she's not walking down with Canterbury fat man pants on and she's not just wearing whatever it is that she wants to come down she has made herself ready and she's done it in a meticulous manner and everybody looks and says man she's done a good job Saints of God, it should be the same with the church. This church is something that requires work, requires cultivation, requires attention, requires accountability, requires sincere believers to work at, just like a relationship. You know, the Apostle Paul later says, it is, I speak of a great mystery, but I speak about Christ and the church. If you don't see the, and I hope by the end of this message, you see the similarities between the marriage covenant and Christ and his church, a marriage has to be worked on it will not just it people are fallen creatures since the sin of adam two people cannot dwell together in harmony without some issue arising or cropping up it's as sure as as the sun is going to rise in the morning and so just like relationships and marriages have to be worked on, churches have to be worked on. And saints of God, if you work on it, it is a glorious thing. It's something to behold. It's like that bride on her wedding day, something to behold and say, that is beautiful. That is something to look upon. And it's the same when people come from all over the world for this school of Christ. They come here and they're able to breathe a breath of fresh air. And they're able to say, man, there's something beautiful here. And it's not all the individual members, though every individual member here is beautiful. But it is because 
there has something been worked on. We have prepared ourselves. We've made ourselves ready. And that's to the commendation of every single person who has called themselves a member of this church. Christians should not operate in vacuums. They must be under the headship of churches, not fellowships, not little sideways meetings, not friendships. I'm grateful for those things. I don't see anything wrong with going from house to house. But there must be a church authority and structure. And listen, we're not part of Assemblies of God. We're not part of Church of God. We're not part of Christian Churches of Ireland or any forms of these associations or denominations. There's nobody above Keith in some office, in some HQ somewhere. We are, what you see is what you get. And, and, and so that's why we have liberty to preach in whatever way we see fit, whatever way the Bible determines it to be. But saints of God, a church without a head, it's become rebellion. That's the modern day church. It's this bloated, grotesque organization that is no different to Coca-Cola or no different to, uh, to Apple or no different to any of these massive corporations. They're using the same marketing tactics. They're using the same TED Talks. They're using the same lights. They're using the same sinners to speak in their own pulpits. They're using the same people in the production teams. All of these same ideas and campaigns and programs and whatever else you want to be, they're man's decisions. They're things that man has envisaged and thought, this worked for Coca-Cola to get their brand in every single country. So how about we use it to get our brand in every single country? Saints of God, if you're looking to propagate a church or a brand, you've missed it. We're here to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're here to stop men from going, men and women from going to eternity, to hell forever and ever. We are here to see Christ's name exalted. God help us if we have five or if we have 50, we're going to preach the exact same and you can put that to the test over the last 10 years. This church is nearly 10 years old. And I'll show you pictures later on. If you ever thought that Keith was joking when he said that he has preached to three, four, or five people, I'll show you pictures that you would not believe where there's just maybe 10 chairs that are spaced out this far so it looks like there's more people than there is. And there's maybe three of us all sitting there listening to pre Keith preaching his heart out. Saints of God, we believe this. We care about this. We desire this. And whether we've got a 1,000 or a 100, we're not changing. Build it according to the path. That's what Moses was told. That tabernacle, you don't just get to decide, oh, well, God said use these types of curtains, but, you know, I don't really like them, so I'm going to use these types. Build it according to the pattern. That means your marriage, build it according to the pattern. Your, your way of living before the Lord, build it according to the pattern. This church, it must be built according to the pattern. We are led by the head, by Jesus Christ. He is the one that informed, he is the one that makes ultimate decision. But see, Christ is not only, <clears throat> excuse me, Christ is not only the, savior, the head of the church, but he is the savior of the body. The savior of the body. It says in Ephesians, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Um, and it says in Philippians, in that same portion of scripture we read, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we looked for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying for so he's talking about those people whose God is their belly, those people who are governed by their feelings, their lusts, their thoughts, their ideas, and not governed by the head. He says, but we're not like them. Our conversation, and that word conversation doesn't mean words your mouth, but the way you live your life. Our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we looked for the Savior, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is not just the head of the church, but he's the savior of the body. With headship comes salvation. <clears throat> so it's very easy for you, for us to think, oh, well, Christ is, uh, you know, like that, that um, the man in the parables, they say, oh, you're an austere man. People think, oh, Christ, he, uh, he just wants to lead us and he just wants to direct us and he wants to call the shots and he doesn't want to let us to think about how things should be done. But with his headship, also, he, he takes on the role of savior. He takes on the one who saves us from our sins. And that's why I don't think any of us in this church have a problem with the headship of Jesus Christ. None of us, by the grace of God, and thankfully, we have no issues with Christ being the head of this church. Why? Because we all understand that he is the savior of our bodies. He's the savior of our souls. Without him, there would be no salvation. The difference between the people whose belly is their God or enemies of the cross and real believers is that we looked for the Savior, the Jesus Christ. We looked towards him, not to our own ideas, not to our own lusts. If we're wondering, how do we grow the church? How do we build the church? First of all, we must check our, our, our ambitions uh, godly. Do we want to build a church because we want more numbers and more people to fellowship on a Sunday? Or do we just want our own mega church? Or do we want to see souls saved from an eternal hell? And that's what God's testing us at all times, all hours of the day or night. He's checking to see our own hearts before him. But this word savior comes from the Greek word sotir. So, you know, you hear about um, the end time soteriology, the study of salvation. It comes from the Latin word salvari, which means to save. So the word savior means savior, deliverer, or preserver. So he's not just, we think it's Christ the savior. He saved us from our sins. He, he stopped us from going to eternal hell, but he also, so currently saves us in that he delivers us from trouble in this present day and he's a preserver. He preserves us from bad things happening to us in a sense that would take us and uh, to lose our faith. So he's a preserver in all of those things. <clears throat> the word savior in English is a uh, definition, one who delivers or rescues from peril one that saves from danger or destruction. The Savior saves the body from danger and destruction. He is the Savior. I like this. Do you know, he's not just the Savior. We understand that, the one who gives us salvation, but he is the Savior. He saves us. He is the one that's, he's the saver. We are the savee. He is constantly in the, in the case of saving us and averting us from desires. Every single one of you that's born again here in this room, can you not think to a time where Christ delivered you from some awful, terrible issue, some awful, terrible problem, whether it be he answered your prayers, whether it be he delivered you from sin, whether it be he, he was there at a time when you just couldn't walk any longer in the midst of those things. I remember difficult times family life years ago just kneeling at my bed just crying he's always there he's always there he is the comforter he is the paracletus he's the one that comes in beside us the bible says he's never gonna leave us nor forsake us and can i tell you 10 years later he's never once left me he's never forsaken me jesus christ is the savior he can deliver you from your sins he can deliver you from death he can deliver you from yourself you see, this is part of being savior of the body. 
Oftentimes, and I know we've all experienced this, we've had Christ have to save us from ourselves. Oftentimes, the biggest enemy is not outside, it's me. It's from within. You're, you're your own worst biggest enemy. You're not my biggest enemy. You're not other people's biggest enemy. You are your wor- own worst biggest enemy because you can hinder God in your own life, and yet God is the savior of the body. He can save you from yourself. Often, you look at children, and they need to be saved from themselves. They might want to try jump out a window they don't know what the ramifications of that might mean and you as a parent come and you save that Jesus Christ is the head of the church Jesus Christ is the savior of the body and what does it mean if he is the savior of the body well you might think oh well he's the one who calls all the shots not even Jesus Christ makes his own decisions it says in John 5 19 then answered Jesus and said unto them verily verily I say unto you The Son can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the Father do. For that thing soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. So all he does is what God, he's seen his Father do. Fathers, listen up. Jesus Christ himself emulated his Father to the point at which he only did what he saw his Father do. Fathers, if your Son only did what you do, how would you feel about that? You know, oftentimes we desire, we want them, long for them to be born again, to be saved, and we're expecting them to be saved to a great, way greater degree than we are, to see them to be prophesying and operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit instantly the moment they get saved. Fathers, we must first do it. This is what leadership is. If we're going to complain about people not going in and taking out the promised land, we have to be the ones to do it. Why? Because it's the example that Christ set out for us. He only did what he saw his Father in heaven do. It says again in John later in that chapter, I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the sinless perfect lamb of God did not make his own decisions. How many decisions do you make in your Christian life that you believe is your decision and you don't even consider Christ? You don't even go to God. You think, oh, you, we think that, oh, I can decide, pick and choose when I get to go to church or pick and choose what jobs I take or pick and choose what, where I live or, or how I live or how I treat my brothers or how I treat my family. We, we just, we don't even take a second thought except this sinless, perfect lamb of God says, I don't even do my own will. I do my will my father. Father is your the head of the wife. You're ahead in your home you can't do something just of your own will you are under the authority of Jesus Christ and why because Jesus Christ was under the authority of God the Father this is a perfect authority structure it will be very easy for your wife to obey and listen to you in your home if she can see that this man is obeying and listening to Jesus Christ very very easy because that wife will know this man's not living unto himself he's living unto another any worship and service that I give unto my husband he's not holding on to that that's going straight on to Jesus Christ and saints I have, I'm not there yet right I'm just preaching the word of God as it says and written I long to be at that point and, and, and further along the road but saints of God I cannot not preach what the word of God says in relation to these things and it is so important in John chapter 12 for I have spoken of myself but the father I have not spoken of myself but the father which sent me he gave me a commandment what I should say and what I should speak we are so loose with our tongues and yet Jesus Christ 
Jesus Christ did not say anything except for God in heaven gave it to him. In our own house, we can say, oh, I work to pay my mortgage or I pay my rent and I'm in my house and I can say whatever I can say. Can you? That's not what the Bible says. We are to operate like Christ operated. And Christ himself said, I have not spoken of myself. If Christ has not even spoken of himself, what makes you think that you can speak of yourself? You can't. We have to first consult with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Christ became the Savior of the body by doing the will of the Father. Christ did not operate in a vacuum, but under the authority of his Father in heaven. The church does not seek to do her own will but the will of Christ the husband in a household should not do this will but should not do his own will but the will of Christ husbands you do not get to just decide how that the direction that that house goes in or how you operate it has to be built according to the pattern and you know what nowadays these feminists are trying to feminize all these men nowadays and say that you can't be masculine and you can't be a man in your own home and they're trying to take they're trying to castrate men in whatever power that they could possibly have because they want the destruction of the home and those feminists they're looking for equal and all this sort of stuff they're killing chivalry if you don't know what chivalry is it's it's men acting like knights men being proper men and where does chivalry come from it comes from the bible it comes from jesus christ he is the most gentlest servant and he did everything why because he loved his bride he died for his bride he was the man who lived for his bride and he died for her he lived a life of self-sacrifice for the bride chivalry comes from there and men we would do well to emulate jesus christ you know, we talk, he talks about him being the savior of the world. We, we hear in the world or the, of the body and we hear, you know, knight in shining armor. That's what a man is supposed to be in a home. A man is supposed to be a savior and we're going to get onto it now. Right, so we looked at Christ as the head of the home. We looked at Christ is the savior of the body. But Ephesians 5 says, I speak concerning Christ and the church. I speak concerning Christ and the church. You see, this is a great mystery. He says this after, <clears throat> he says this after talking about man and woman coming together, becoming one flesh, and then uh, consummating that marriage. And then it says, the Apostle Paul says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Saints of God, I am not just talking here about Christ's headship and the church. I am talking about what that marriages are supposed to be in this home. So all of us have no problem with saying Christ is the head of the church. We have no problem with him being the savior of the body, but husbands, that's our job in that home. Everything Christ is to the church, we are to the wife, we are to the family. I've heard that someone complained before, not this year, but years gone by, that uh, you know, the, uh, Brother Clendenin didn't speak too much about the home in the school of Christ. But if you think he didn't, you've missed it. Because what the church is is the homes should be. They run the exact same way. So the, all of the same qualifications that apply to an elder and a leader in this church applies to you husbands in your own home. You start there. You're a shepherd there first before you're ever going to be a shepherd here. And if you can do it there, that's like slaying a goat or a, or a bear. And then here it's like slaying a lion when you come in to preach the word of God and to be elder over a people in a church. You see, that's what it's supposed to to be husbands you are the head of your home you are the savior of that family 
This is what we talk about. If you ever think about any of the direction given to husbands in the Bible as just that, then you've completely missed it. We are here to display Christ and his church. If someone preaches to you on marriage and does not tie it back to Christ and the church, then they've missed it. Marriage exists only... Marriage exists only because Christ and his bride exists. Can I say that again? Marriage only exists because Christ and his bride exists. The purpose of this mysterious union between men and women in a marriage bond is primarily to point to Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of this whole thing. When we were at the wedding, the last wedding we were at, and when we're going to the next wedding, when you see that bride walking down the aisle, think about the new Jerusalem coming down, being prepared and being prepared presented unto Jesus Christ. Think about the church being presented unto her bridegroom finally on that day when he returns. We are only there to display Christ and his church. Now, if your marriage was Christ and his church, do you think it would accurately display those things? In the same way, the uh, book of Psalms says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. If the heavens declare the glory of God. So what does that mean? It means by looking at the stars and looking at the night sky and looking at the sun, the moon, the clouds, the heavens, all of that expansive uh, area. If looking at that declares the glory of God, basically says to anybody who looks at the night sky, God is glorious. God is almighty. God created all of these things. He's all powerful and you are significant in his own eyes. If the heavens declare the glory of God, then marriage displays the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ and his bride. We look at the heavens, we think of God's glory. We must look at marriages and think Jesus and his church. We must think Savior of the body. We must think of a man that displays Christ. We must think of a woman that displays his bride. The husband is the head of the wife. And this is why marriage is so important. This is why we don't believe in men marrying men and women marrying women. They talk about Christians believing in this. They're silly. They don't know their Bibles because it's like taking an engine and taking a couple of pistons out and then uh, sticking in some uh, Snickers bars and thinking it's just going to work in the exact same way that it's going to work. You're taking something fundamental to the function of that engine and saying, oh, this is just as good. But you're completely forgetting that. No, without pistons, their thing's not going to go up and down. The car's not going to move. The engine's not going to run. Nothing's going to function. If you take out that one section, the whole thing falls apart. You put men and men marrying together, or women and women marrying together, then take Christ and the church. Take it out. Destroy it. Get rid of it because you've completely lost sight of the purpose of the whole thing. It's like planets in orbit. You can't just move a planet to one orbit or another. In the words of Brother Clendenin, there'd be a car crash up there. If you just decided to move Jupiter just a few degrees forward, I don't, I'm not an astrologist or astronomer, but I'm pretty sure that it's going to smash into something and it's going to mess up the solar system in some way. It's the same thing here. God has set these ordinances and these things perfectly in order. He remains them in, in a sense of he keeps them functioning and going. And if you try to move one piece, of that puzzle the whole thing comes tumbling down you've lost sight and devalued completely what the whole thing is you look at marriage Christ and the church people say oh well my husband's not my head well then Christ isn't the head of the church that's what you're saying that's exactly what you're saying by those things 
You know, the Bible says, <clears throat> so the husband is the head of the wife. If you have a problem with the husband being the head of the wife, then you must have a problem with Christ being the head of the church. You say, no, 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 brother Soph. I do not believe, I have a problem. Of course, Christ is the head of the church, but just the husband is not the head of the wife. Well, then again, like I just told you, that's no different to believing that men can marry men and think that it's perfectly acceptable in the church because it's so unbelievably, fundamentally disorderly. It does not work. If you say the husband is not that oh we're co-heads we have equal headship well then you're a body walking around with two heads you're grotesque it, it's it you're you're something that should be in a circus if that is the case there's only one head that head makes the decisions husbands if you have an issue with the responsibilities on your shoulders then you must have a problem with christ being the savior of the body every single husband in this room we have no problem with saying christ is my savior christ is the savior of the body he delivered me when i needed deliverance for myself when i was weak he was strong oh when i wasn't able to manage when i should have been able to manage he was the one who came in and he 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 helped me in all those situations but then our wives require support attention love care and we grumble away or walking around the house and yet we abdicate from our responsibilities so often we think why aren't they stronger why can't they do this they should be more mature and i know none of the husbands in this church think that only uh, i don't think that either hannah okay never ever <laughs> never ever comes to my mind not 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 at all but saints of god if there wasn't someone who needed to be saved then there's no need for a savior there's no need for a savior. Forget about it. If the church in herself was not so fragile and weak that she did not need a Jesus, then we get rid of him altogether. Men, husbands, if you're not the savior of your family, the savior of your body, then Christ is not the savior of the church. And if you get upset and grumbly about that, well, think about Jesus on the cross. Was he upset and grumbly about that? Far from it. Absolutely not. He, he did it for the joy that was set before him because he loved his bride so desperately and he understood all of her failings. He understood that she wasn't perfect. He understood that she wasn't where maybe she could have been. He understood that the bride, his disciples all fled from him on the moment when he most needed them and yet he still went to that cross. Do you know, he didn't call the legions of angels. He didn't say, oh, if there's five of my disciples here when I'm on that cross, then I'm going to still do the cross. Do you know, he, he stayed there even when there was no one around. All the men had left. The sheep had been scattered. Everything that we just went over in regards to Christ is the same for husbands towards the wife. He is the head of the home. He is the savior of the body. God has provided men with an inherent physical and mental strength to be used in service to him. Men are made different to women and for a special purpose. The Rick City Church just got cancelled. Men are different to women and we have been made for a special purpose. There is an exception for men to be there is an expectation for men to be the head of the wife and with the responsibility of being the savior. You do not get head of the church without savior of the body. They both go hand in hand because you can't just be ahead. Anybody that's ever managed a team and work or anything like that, you, don't, you aren't able to just come in and say, you do that, you do that, you do that, because I'm the head, and then give them no prior support, because those people often don't know what it is needs to be done, or they need supervision. They might need help. There's differing degrees of strength within that. So you, in a sense, that manager would become the savior in helping those people to function. Christ is both the head and the savior of the body. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself 
for it. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He gave himself for it. He sacrificed his own ambitions, his own thoughts. Do you know, at 30 years of age, we don't read of him doing any more carpentry from that point on. Up until 30 years of age, he's a carpenter. Last three years, he's now full-time ministering. Doesn't even have somewhere to lay his head. He's going around. He's caring for those disciples. He's interested in them. He's caring to the multitudes, all those people. Why did he do it? He did it for the bride. Everything that you read about in, in, in the Bible, he did it for the love of his bride. He did it for the love of her. He sacrificed time. He sacrificed ambitions. He sacrificed thoughts. And he didn't complain about it. Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Now again, I'm not just talking husbands and wife here. Remember, this is a great mystery. I speak of Christ and the church. So we would have no problem with thinking about Christ dwelling with the church in accordance with knowledge, giving honor to the church as he would and as unto the weaker vessel. We all understand that. We understand that Christ is where we go when we are in times of trouble. We all approach in Hebrews it says that throne of grace in a time of need we go to him because he is the savior of the body he is our savior we have no problem thinking about it in those terms but now we have to think about it in other terms the husband is the head of the home he is the savior of the body and so he must act as Christ like to that family giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. People say that Paul was a misogynist and all these things, far from it. I don't think you had many people in, in 30 AD or 40 AD, whenever this was written, talking about giving honor to your wife. I don't think that was the case back then in those early Roman times. <clears throat> but he's saying, give honor to her as a weaker vessel. Consider weaker vessel. You know, the Bible talks about vessels, cups, pots, pottery, clay, all those things. It says in a great house, there's vessels of gold and silver, and there's earthen vessels and clay and all those things. <clears throat> So he says, give honor as unto the weaker vessel. If you took a vase out that was completely new bridge, not silverware, what's the other one? The one that, uh, the crystal, the famous crystal crowd from Ireland. Anyway, Waterford crystal, that's the one, right? Is it? <clears throat> so anyway, you've got this incredibly expensive vase, but it's very fragile. You wouldn't prop a car up onto it. If you were gonna, if you were gonna jack your car up, you wouldn't stick the vase under it. Why? You all laugh. Well, because it'd be ridiculous. The thing is fragile, yet expensive. So what do you do? Don't touch the vase. Be careful with that thing. Be very, you know, uh, Keith and Candice gave us a vase for our wedding that we have, and it's very precious to us. And I was moving it from the table to the other, and thankfully it didn't break, but I kind of, it wobbled, handle wasn't around, it wobbled a little bit. I thought, man, if that broke, we'd be in trouble. I don't think it was extremely expensive, but it has great sentimental value. And so he's saying, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. You give respect to that thing. You give honor to that thing. We often have very valuable, expensive things in our house that we give respect and honor to. You're careful with it. You handle it very gingerly. If you're traveling in the car with it, you make sure it's packed, it's properly done. And the, that's the imagery that God has given to us for husbands to think about your wife. 
give honor to them as the weaker vessel. You give great care to them. The bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the church is a weak vessel. Often now in this feministic modern age, people, women would think, well, we're not the weaker vessel. We're not the weaker vessel. Well, I'm just saying this is what the Bible says of the wife. But nobody would ever argue with me if I said, who's stronger? Is Christ stronger than the church? Who's the stronger vessel? Everyone would always say, yes, of course, Christ is stronger than the church. Of course, he's the savior of the body. But then talk husband and wife and people think, ah, well, you know, you can't say that in this day and age. Saints of God, it's not something to be, uh, this is even modern thinking that we so have to renew our minds with the word of God because weak vessel doesn't mean bad vessel. It does not mean uh, uh, not sufficient or equal with men. It means different, different. I could have something that's very strong like a sledgehammer and that's worth 30 quid or I could have an extremely delicate piece of jewelry that's a thousand euro. Who, if you, and if I asked you, do you want the, the expensive jewelry or do you want the sledgehammer? Everyone except Paul would take the jewelry. Everyone's gonna take that jewelry. Every single time they're gonna take that jewelry, right? And so that's not, just because one's different and delicate doesn't mean that it's worse. And, and the fact that we equate this because we, you, not only have men been feminized, but women have been masculinized. They're trying to bring us all on the same level and they're trying to get rid of the differences between men and women. Whereas we say in this church, let men be men, let women be women, let women be what God has intended them to be to fulfill the purpose that only a woman can fulfill and let a man fulfill the purpose that only a man can fulfill. Both of them are equally as important. If Hannah dropped off the face of the earth tomorrow, I don't know what I would do without her. My life would be very, very difficult. It would be very hard. Look at Keith. You, everyone thinks strong man of God, you know, and yet in the last, in the last uh, year, he's been in tatters. Why? Because he lost someone very precious to him. Very, very precious to him. And what was she? She was a woman. She was very important to this body and this church. So don't let anyone tell you that, that just because the Bible says the woman is the weaker vessel does not mean that it's worse. Completely not the case. Just means different. And it's trying to communicate something because the Bible in other places says that the bride is terrible as an army with banners says that she's valiant. In Proverbs 33, it speaks about the valiant woman, right? Or the, sorry, the virtuous woman. If you look at that word virtuous in the <clears throat> Hebrew, it's the same word that David used, exact same adjective David used to describe his mighty men. So mighty men, virtuous woman, it's the same. You could sub in mighty. The Proverbs 31 woman is a mighty woman. So, you're, so what the Bible effectively says, that she is on par with Benaiah, the man who jumped into a, a pit on a snowy day and fought a lion, saying that a woman, a true woman of God, is valiant to stand, just as valiant as the man who stood on the lentil patch and fought off the 300 or however many Philistines for that war, just as valiant as the person that, David used as his um, effectively personal army. Those mighty men, it's the same. So, so the Bible, I am not saying here that women are weak. I'm saying they are the weaker vessel. And really, he's not saying something about women here. He's talking about men in your attitude towards them. He's not saying that you're, in some ways, Hannah's far stronger than I am. But he's saying your attitude towards them should be one of great care and concern. 
Why? Because that's Christ's attitude towards the church. If you get upset because your husband is treating you delicately, then take it up with Jesus, okay? Take it up with him because he treats us in a delicate manner. Not always, not always, because we can't just look at one scripture and then take it completely out of balance because at times Jesus rebukes his bride for having little faith. You know, in the, in the book of Revelation, he's talking to churches, says, if you don't repent, I'm going to take away your candlestick. You say, well, you're not talking to them like they're the weaker vessel there. So you have to take everything in the full counsel of God, the full balance of scripture. But here, husbands, it is talking about a way and a manner of being, giving honor or value. This is, uh, 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 this is, sorry, sorry, uh, where are we next? Matthew Henry says on the, on the subject, giving honor to the wife, giving honor, Jew, giving due respect to her and maintaining her authority protecting her person, supporting her credit, delighting in her conversation, affording her a handsome maintenance, and placing a due trust and confidence in her. The reasons are because she is the weaker vessel by nature and constitution, and so ought to be defended. Men, you must defend. Don't be your wife's enemy. Men, don't be your wife's enemy. You're the one to defend her. For the reasons that I've just listed, we must be those two. Are, it, Matthew Henry says, we must learn. The weakness of the female sex is no reason either for separation or contempt. But on the contrary, it is a reason for honor and respect. Giving honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel. There is an honor due to all who are heirs of grace of life. All married people should take care to behave themselves so lovingly and peaceably one to another that they may not, by their broils, hinder the success of their prayers. So he's saying here, because she's the weaker vessel, this is not a reason for contempt, but actually this is the reason you give her respect, because she is, she is the weaker vessel. Have you ever asked yourself, uh, why is she not stronger? But it's their nature. You know, often husbands sometimes become the problem. You come from work and you're fixing problems all day in work if you're at a reasonably senior level. And then you come home, you're fixing problems all evening when you get home. Whether it be problems with tools or problems with children or problems, you are the fixer. But, but can I tell you, lads, you're the savior of the body. This is what God ordained. This was the intent. And we must treat them as the weaker vessel. We have to treat them with great love and concern. Look at how Jesus treated the woman caught in the adultery remember she's part of the bride she's part of the bride of christ she comes along and what does he say woman where are those thine accusers hath no man condemned thee she said no man lord and jesus said neither do i condemn thee go and sin no more he's not saying you shouldn't have done this you shouldn't have done that you shouldn't have done the other why did you do it like that why are you doing the other saying to god when it says give respect unto them as the weaker vessel that means don't shout at your wives don't even shout in your house your house should be a peaceable place it also goes for women and next week you probably understood this already but next week we'll look at the church the body the bride but this week we're looking at the savior of the body we must live peaceable lives we must have peaceable homes it says in philippians i didn't have the scripture and i tried writing it down but i can't read my own handwriting finally be all of one mind having compassion one on another love as brethren be pitiful have you ever seen someone that's being pitiful to someone do you know it's like just just you know so 
unoffensive. Be pitiful to someone. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrariwise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. So what does that mean? That doesn't mean he done this, so I'm going to do that. Why not every time your husband or your wife does something bad to you, you just give them blessing? Why not do that? I'm telling you, it's like sticks of matches. I don't know if you ever saw sticks of matches lined up. You light one on fire, and they all light up on fire. But if you took one match out of that, then that stops straight away. That fire does not go any cease. And the Bible says it, take the wood uh, away from the tail bear, and it stops striving cease. Or sorry, as wood taken away from... Uh, uh, from fire, so is when you take it away from the tail bear. It stops. It doesn't go any further than that. And so we're not supposed to think what, why they should be meeting their expectations or they should be doing this or that and the other. We're actually supposed to bear one another burden. We're supposed to bear their burdens. You might say, I can't bear any more burdens. Well, then that's where you need to lay it before the Lord. Lay it for the Christ because I'm not talking about husbands and wives and I'm going to say it over and over again. Christ and the church. Christ and the church. Wives, the way, if the way that you speak to your husband and the way you operate and the, the, how you manage yourself towards him was the way this church operated towards Christ, would you be happy with that? And men, if the way that you operated towards your wives was the way that Christ operated towards you and this church, would you be happy with that? And I'm not looking for answers here today. You see that, think about it. Jesus says to that woman, woman, where are thine accusers? Where are thine accusers? Neither do I condemn thee. It's a beaut the Bible says it is a beaut glorious thing to pass over a transgression. All husbands, pass over a transgression this week. Why don't you do that for yourselves? It's a blessing. It's a wonderful thing. It is something that is beautiful and magnificent. Jesus Christ here says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So he doesn't just say, hey, you're, you're fine. He says, go and sin no more. You know, if, if God doesn't just leave us as the weak vessel, but he wants to bring us along. And so if you think that, uh, you know, your wife needs support in something, they're not going to be like that forever. But think about how you can change that. Every problem in the church of God can be fixed by Christ, his word, and his intervention. I believe almost every, I would say 95% of problems in a home can be fixed by that husband. 95, or if it, they can't be directly fixed, he must at least make an attempt to fix those issues. It is his duty to make sure that these things are operating, functioning, because you're going to give an account someday. I don't know if anyone told you this, Ethan, but on that day, Christ is God, God is going to judge you for how you manage that, that, uh, that marriage your whole life. It started two weeks ago. It's going to continue until... You go throughout all of eternity. When, he, when uh, Eve sinned and Adam sinned, he called Adam. He didn't call Eve. He called Adam. So if you're going to be responsible, then you better make sure you understand. Oh, well, I didn't know she was doing that. Oh, I didn't know that was going on. I didn't know she was doing that. Why not? Why not? Do you think there's any aspect of this church that's not submitted unto Christ? If there is, God help us, it must be rooted out. Christ must know and have oversight of everything that goes on amongst us as the body of believers and the body of Christ. And so your home is your domain. The, the husband is the head of the home. He's the head of the wife. Jesus calms the storms. The disciples come to Jesus with yet another problem. Look how often in the Bible problems are brought to Jesus. He is the savior of the body. They're constantly bringing him problems to his feet. Jesus calms the storm. They came to him and to awake him saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind, raging of water, and they ceased, and there was a great calm. 
Now, I know sometimes in our house, Hannah's not the most technologically advanced or adept, and she might come to me with this problem that is, before I've even got to look at it, she's already, um, you know, pressed the button a million times, determined that it's wrong, it needs to be thrown out, and it's going out the back door. And I just come and I just, just click, and it's done. And you know what? She's like these disciples. She's like, what manner of man is this that rebukes the wind? She's like, how did you do that? You know, I mean, you're talking about it mightn't have been plugged in properly. Or the switch doesn't, but it just required a calm attention to detail or an understanding how that situation worked. The savior of the body. I am, I, I know it's a funny story, but I'm talking, I'm talking, these are, the, the, your marriages are built up by practical everyday situations. How you live your life before Christ um, is built up of practical everyday situations. Everything you do every day should be thinking, how can I display Christ? How can I be conformed into his image? How can I be more like Jesus this day? And that's for everyone, not just for husbands. Jesus, and you know what? He did rebuke them though. He said, oh ye of little faith. So he's, okay, fine. He, he, did, he did do the work for them. That maybe he thought they should have been able to deal with it. They weren't in any real danger, and yet Christ gave them respect. But he did challenge them because why? He wants to move them along. He wants to move them along. And Christ wants that for our church. This church should not be a, 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 a teenage girl for all of its existence, but to someday grow into what is a virtuous woman, a valiant woman, a beautiful, precious bride that can stand that's terrible as an army with banners. We are in a state of constant perfecting and maturing maturing by Christ himself and it should be the same in that home husbands love your wives support your wives help them to grow help them to move on pour out your life for them you will never ever be scorned for it maybe pouring out your life for your wives means telling them something you really don't want to tell them because that can be true too Jesus said that forget sorry the Bible says that God um uh, that he that he uh, died for the bride he died for her and so it might work a little bit of death in you to have to say something you don't want to have to say. Perhaps it might work death in you to say it in a way you don't want to say it. Perhaps it might require you to take a couple of deep breaths, go for a walk, and repackage this in a way that's not going to cut the legs out from under them. Or maybe sometimes they require the legs cut out from them. This is your job to be working and to be thinking and to be probing. This is how Christ deals with us. Does Christ deal with you always the same way? Remember, I speak of a mystery here. I speak of Christ and the church. So with Christ, does he always just cut the legs out from under us? No, he can be very gentle. Do you know, any time I've really gone out there and I've, I've been backslidden in heart and filled with my own ways, what has really broken me is not the harsh word of God, you're going to be judged, but it's when I'm sitting back there at the back of the room and I have been recovered from my wanderings and it, he's still there. And his presence is still felt and he still loves me. Oh, there's many times since I've sat at the back of this church and I have just wept thinking, why do you love me? Why do you love me? Why do you love me? Because I'm not worthy of such love. Oh, if that was the, if, our, if the husbands of this church had that same level of grace, that same level of care, that same level of attention. So we are so quick to pull out the sword. But, you know, not always does it require a sword. Sometimes it just needs a pat on the back. Love, support, all of these things. I speak of a mystery, Christ and his church. Where were the disciples when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? They were sleeping. He says, come on, let's go pray. He says, and he cometh unto the disciples, findeth them asleep, saying unto Peter, what 
Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So what's he do? He doesn't start screaming at them. He doesn't start, ah, oh, I'm finished with you. That's it. Cast off to eternal hellfire. He doesn't make them wither like the fig tree that wasn't bearing any fruit. But you know what he says? He has mercy. He says the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our Jesus is an understanding Jesus. And I'm not saying he excuses sin. He definitely does not. I'm not saying that he wants to leave us in a state of immaturity. That is an ugly thing when you see a grown woman acting like a child or a grown man abdicating from his responsibilities. And we have this nowadays. We've got men who are in their 30s playing Xboxes and Playstations and ignoring their wives. Oh my goodness. You should, it should be illegal for somebody who's married to have a Playstation or Xbox. It should actually be confiscated from you the moment they should they should do audits on this stuff they should send in dawn raids looking for these guys sorry you're ex you got married ex yesterday these xbox games are coming you've got a wife now you need to give her attention i'm i do it myself i'd lead them with an angle grinder getting through i just i just burn all these xboxes i've i had a friend who got one for for his wedding god help us Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. But saints of God, these, these, we've got men nowadays that are doing video games and all these sorts of stupid things. Your responsibility is to that family. It's not to your work. It's not to the things that you do outside. You know, it's hard enough to act. We, even men in the church, we put a big emphasis on men are the provider. We, this is our job. It is actually really not that easy to find scriptures for that. Yes, in the beginning in Genesis, he says, six days will you work in the sweat of your brow. Um, and, you know, he says, that, that's how it's going to work. You're going to eat bread from the sweat of your brow. So it's a, it's a subject of the fall that we are expected to work. But I believe men in the church, we put far too much emphasis on that. The easiest thing I do in a day is work. Honestly, between 9 and 5 o'clock in the evening, that's the easiest thing I do. Now, ladies, please don't, don't think, oh, well, that's what you're supposed to do. Because it is a subject of the fall. But in the same way, so is childbirth. And so you don't ever hear men saying, no, that's what you're just supposed to do, do you know? Because um, it's not. There's love, care, support. This is what the Christian is supposed to operate in. We don't devour each other. We don't kill each other. In the book of James, it talks about that. He calls the people that devour each other murderers and murderesses. Do you know, he, he says that of those people. We're not here to devour each other. Sometimes I speak to couples, and it's like that they're married or they're going out with their worst enemy. I think, how could you say that to someone? How could you possibly put that in your lips on this... If you're supposed to love them, why are you together? Do you know, I just don't, it, it never, it boggles my mind. I don't understand it. And I speak again of a mystery, Christ and the church. Christ would never act towards us with such contempt. He treats the religious hypocrites as contempt. Those doing spiritual fornication, they got called vipers. They got called vi vi uh, foxes. They were the ones who, were, who received... Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say insults, but they were because because they were absolutely true facts. They were the ones that he railed those accusations against, but not the people in the church, not those people in the church. And saints, I'm finishing up, I'm, I'm finishing up um, with this fashioned like unto his glorious body. There's a reason all of these things happen. It's not just that we can have orderly homes. God help us. If that's the case, then I just gave you a self-help talk. That is not the case. That's not what we're here for. It says in Philippians 3.17, turn with me there. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. 
the savior of the body is not only to save from danger and destruction, but also to change our vile body into a glorious one, just like his. This is why he is the head of the body. This is why he is the savior of the body. He saves us from ourselves. He guides us. He's our preserve us. preserver. He saves us from trouble. He is the one that guides us, and he's doing it for a purpose. He's trying to fashion us like unto his glorious body. His body is absolutely glorious. And that's what we want. All our homes in this church, they're little bodies. They're little churches. And they, we want them to look glorious. They want to be beautiful things in the sight of God. He is perfecting us in Christ's likeness. He is making our church more Christ-like. Husbands, you must do the same for your wives. I speak of a great mystery, Christ and the church. Let's stand. Father, Lord, we glorify you, O God. We worship you, O God. Lord, we pray, O God. Help us to write this to our hearts, O God. Help us in all of these things to see Christ and his church, O God. Help us, O God, Lord, to emulate, O Father, Lord, our roles in these things, O God. O Father, Lord God, that we would let you to lead, O God. O Father, Lord God, that we would never try to take leadership from you, O God, or headship from you, but as a church, O God. We would allow you, O God, to move forward, O God, to press on, O God, and that we would not complain or grumble, but that we would just follow in behind, O God. Lord, that we would move with you, O God. O Father, Lord, we thank you, O God. We glorify you and magnify you, O Father. Lord, we worship you, O we pray, O God. Help us, O God, Lord, in your great infinite wisdom and mercy, O God. Lord, to live these things out, O Father. Lord, to be, Lord, like your son, O Father. O God, that we would have something beautiful here, O God, in our midst, O Father. Lord, that we would walk humbly before you, O God, and that we would treat things with such great care and attention, O God, that it would be obvious, O Father, Lord, that Christ loves his church, O God, because the husbands here love their wives, O Father, Lord, let it be so in in this day and in our midst, in Jesus' mighty and wonderful name. Amen.